We're back. We left you for a while, but we're back. Episode 43 of the Coys R Us podcast. The whole gang's here. We're back to talk a little Spurs. That horrible, dreadful season is now behind us, and we look ahead to the 23-24 season. How's everybody feeling? Better than during the season, for sure. I'm glad I'm glad it's over. It's been a nice break, like not watching Spurs every weekend. Right? Yeah, exactly. I haven't had to watch Spurs in, in, in three weeks, so I'm doing okay. <laughs> you know, we got a manager. Everybody's, everybody's blood pressure is lower. Everybody's emotional well-being is better, you know. All those, all the, all the, uh, the great things about sports fandom are also, you know, drawbacks if your team is miserable as it was this season for us. So it's been, it's the first episode in a while where I wasn't, um, dreading coming on and talking. <laughs> so I don't, I don't have a loss. I don't have a, uh, 90th minute conceded goal to talk about. So a few things have happened since the season ended. We figured we'd huddle up, talk about it. Today, first and foremost, we have a manager. And we spent a lot of time in the previous episodes leading up to the end of the season. I guess really the last like two months of the season um, without Conte, we were talking about what we should do, who we should hire, the profile of the manager that we want. And I got to say, for me, this is kind of exactly what i was looking for i don't want to speak too soon because obviously the season hasn't started and you know we lose four of our first five games maybe i'll feel differently but i feel like the profile of the manager that we were looking for at least the one that i was looking for was somebody that was not going to be a big name super accomplished someone that was going to want to be there someone that was going to see spurs as a big job instead of a step down Someone that's accomplished but not super well known, and someone that plays on the front foot. And based on everything I've read, based on everything I've seen, based on what I've been hearing about Postacoglu, he seems to be exactly that profile. So, Jesse, I guess I'll start with you. What has been your opinion now? Uh, it's been roughly what two or three weeks since he was announced i'm losing track of time i can't i don't even remember what day it is half the time but based on what you know about this guy how are you feeling about the the hire yeah we've talked about it a lot you know there's there's so few um you know even though there are three or or if you're in the in in europe four times as many opportunities to win a trophy in uh in english football than there is in in american sports where there's only one trophy um in each you know still like there's still going to be very few teams each year um a majority of teams will not win a trophy um and so you have to find joy in in the way that you look in the littler moments and those kind of things and so you know, knowing that that we're for a number of reasons we're we're not going to just win trophies every year or every decade, apparently. So as long as you're having fun, right? Like if the thirty-eight times in the in the Premier League and you know five to twenty cup games you you ultimately have a year, 
um, if they more than often than not don't end in, in trophies, like at least you have fun. At least you're, you're, you're going down. You're not, you know, putting together an effort where you lose one Oh, um, in Milan and then, uh, you know, a, a lifeless scoreless draw at home. Like, you know, if, as long as we're going out there and having fun, the, the Columbus crew or my MLS team, and, um, they're more fun to watch now they're, they're attacking, they're trying things, they're giving up goals. It's not quite the, the Mike D'Antoni Suns era, but you know, like if you play in the front foot, like you talk about, I think there's that, there's that Spurs hype video that I feel like a lot of Spurs fans have seen that. I don't know when they produced it, but it's on YouTube and it just talks about like the games about glory to dares to do and all that stuff. And it just really gets the, the blood flowing. And it talks about like the game, the stuff that's in the stadium, the game's about glory, the game's about, you know, not just winning, but, but, winning with a flourish. And, and I think, so that's the stuff that's the most encouraging um, because like, at least like the last couple of things you knew that for the most part, there was going to be a lot of, you know, joyless football in the Conte Mourinho eras. The joy would come from if there was win, if there was trophies, which didn't happen. So then there was a lot of stuff we were looking at, like even sometimes the wins were like, Ugh, well, I just glad we won, but it was ugly. So the stuff that I've learned once I, um, figured out of the nine pronunciations uh, that I thought of uh, to pronounce um, Ange's first name. Once I, I feel good about it being Ange and not Angie or Anga or Angie um, or the other iterations that I was thinking of. Yeah. I feel excited about it. Um, you can you know, still call him Angie if you want. I might, depending on yeah, how he, he plays. Maybe there's maybe when he's doing well, I call him Angie. And when he's doing bad, I call him Anga. Or anger, I guess, you know, right? So anger. So I think the other thing too is like, you know, having been, um, you know, in a different way, like, you know, um, American managers have been, you know, not um, not a ton of them in the Premier League. So when Jesse um, Marsh was in there, it was like, cool, like I want this to do well. It, and it was cool. And not that the entire country was behind Leeds, but a little bit of it when you had a couple of Americans on there and, and like, it was kind of neat to see people in America rooting for success for Jesse Marsh. Um, and in a similar way, uh, Ange being the first Aussie Premier League coach, you're going to have a whole bunch of Australians that are just like, man, we want this dude to do well. Um, we want to see him do well and, and, and kind of legitimate legitimize um, or, or again, put a further stamp of approval on an Australian manager. So that's kind of neat. It's neat that like all of South Korea pulls for Spurs. And now it's neat that I feel like a good bit of Australians are going to be pulling for Spurs too. So excited to, to, I'd much rather, I've talked about it a lot in the pod. One of my favorite games of the last handful of years is when we lost five, four in a cup against Everton. Cause it was freaking breakneck back and forth. Davinson had a brace and I'd be fine losing for a little while. Anyway, losing games three, two, you know, four, three, than winning, you know, or than losing games 1-0 like we had been a lot in the in the recent past. I was just going to say, yeah, I mean, I, I think losing games isn't necessarily what bothers you as a fan as much as how you lose, right? Like, if you're losing from silly mistakes, if you're losing because you fail to close out, if you're losing because you had a two goal lead and then you blew it in the last 10 minutes. Like those are the things that I think make you more upset than like when we lost to city after having a two goal lead at halftime, that was a game that nobody really complained about. Cause it was just like, yeah, we made some stupid mistakes, but it's also a team that you're not expecting to beat 
Um, maybe that's not the best example because we we did play pretty poorly actually in that second half. But I think like that Everton game is a good example of that where it's like, hey, we were both playing for the win and they just happened to score one more goal than we did. And you had a lot of fun watching it. Yeah, exactly. And even thinking about the Pochettino era where the defense was, it was not bad, certainly, but we, we would often uh, build leads and, and blow them um, in different ways than we did under Conte and Mourinho, but it never felt as bad. And so even when you did lose games, you still felt a little bit better about it because you felt like you had a team that, was, that knew how to win and, and could at least put some goals on the board. And so I, I think we will probably see some of a rough patch, especially just, you know, he's going to be new. He's going to be new to the league, new to the team. The players are going to have to get used to a new system after playing a very different style of football for the past two years. So I do think there's going to be a little bit of a rough patch, but Ben, I know you were about to jump in on something. So, yeah, no, I, I think that you're right about that. From from everything I've heard, it seems like, you know, he's even warning fans to basically be prepared for that, that it takes apparently around six months before the, the players start to really play with his identity. And I, so I, I think that we have to be patient. And I know that there's going to be a huge vocal contingent of Spurs fans that are not going to play by those rules. But um, I, I just hope that the club will be patient, even if there's some fans that are, um, getting a little chesty early on. I hope that the club will give him time. I hope that the majority of fans will will actually be patient and give him time. Um, but back to what you guys were both saying, because I, I feel like this gets lost on people sometimes. And I mean, this is obviously just my opinion. So maybe it's lost on me. I'm the one who's, who's, who's uh, wrong here. But it seems to me like if you're a professional athlete, obviously, first and foremost, your job is to win the game. But if you're a fan... <laughs> Like the, the the biggest thing is to be entertained more than like, yes, we want to win. Win Winning helps make it more fun. But I think that, I mean, I, we, you asked the question about this several months ago about would you rather have a team that was that was more impressive or sorry, more enjoyable to watch, but didn't win as frequently or a team that plays really bold, like dull football, but wins more consistently. And I would say I would much rather have the more entertaining team because week in, week out, that's the the, the biggest part of it. We're like, cool, you can point to the banners that the team you watched won. Cool, like you didn't achieve anything personally. You know, you like, again, it, it, the, the point of, of sports fandom, in my opinion, is for it to be fun and winning adds to that. It's not the main goal. Um, so I I agree with what the points that you guys are making. I think that it helps to obviously have an attacking-minded coach come in. That's the most important part. But I really do think that it's a big thing that for him, he considers this a huge career step up and that he's yeah. obviously going to have, he's yeah, going to be a, a lot happier. Right. Yeah. Having like, I know that this has been said at nauseum at this point, but having Mourinho and Conte, it, both of those guys, especially Conte, it's like they were doing us a favor. And this was like just ticking a box. Like, I'll just go win a trophy with Spurs and be considered even greater than I already am. It was but, an ego boost. It was like, if yeah. I can win at Spurs, then I'll be the greatest. And if right. I can't win at Spurs, then it's Spurs' fault because I've won Spurs everywhere problem. else. Yep. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. The other thing about Ange is he seems kind of, at least what in my mind is the epitome of an Australian, which is a really seemingly like good dude that's also an extremely hard man. <laughs> you know, like he, he seems like <laughs> both he, he seems good-natured and like he's – 
is smart and articulate, but he also mm-hmm. does not seem like somebody you'd want to get on the wrong side of as your uh, superior, you know, as your coach, as whatever authoritarian uh, in your in your setup. But I I'm pretty happy with it. The only the only coach at the that I know that I did want more at the time was Nagelsmann, but seeing more and more what's happened where he fell out of the Chelsea job and the Spurs job and then the PSG job. Like, what's he doing? What's his, is something wrong with his interview style? Or is he like, I don't understand. I'm, I'm surprised that there's that young of a coach with that track record that didn't get any of the three top jobs. Most so curious, far. most, yeah. most curious indeed what's going on with him. I mean, that's but a good I, point I, because I feel like when we initially found out that he was available, I was like all in. Like, get him. Yeah. And get I him feel right like now. now, a couple months later, I haven't thought twice happy. about it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I think I'm happier with Ange now because it, we might have had the same problem. And I don't know, but so, there's got to be something wrong in terms of his. I don't know what it would be. It seems but like he's asking for, P- for a lot. It, I think that's probably what. How could PS? But PSG's like the richest team in the world, and they don't really care. But I mean, in yeah, but they of, may be like, bro, I, you're not good enough to have the wish list that you do, kind of a situation. But I, it it might just be more in terms of his influence in the club. Like PSG yeah. has a setup with a sporting director, and it's the same thing. Like our, apparently, that's he my guess. To is he his wants own director, and I feel like he wants more control power. over. Yeah, I think that's like, the most likely. I think that is and the most it's going to be hard to do that at any big club at this point. Like they're all going to have systems in place where the manager gives input, but the the system is what goes out and gets the players. And so I I feel like he's bucking against that maybe. Um, but just on Ange, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing like who like how the team plays. Um, I do think they probably do give him a rope because they gave him a four-year contract. I remember when the reporting first started, I kept seeing two years, two years. And in my head, I was like, I'd prefer him to get a longer contract because Daniel Levy is going to think harder about firing him if he has to pay him for four years. Like, you know, 100%. Um, And so I think that's probably why they did come to the agreement of a four-year contract because Ange knows it's going to take him a little time to get the team together. One, like, getting i mean the players who stay around getting those guys to to like be more technically sound is gonna take some time like they were like that's the kind of stuff like we're gonna now see coaching again (laughs) with our players where where i start i i think we will start to see guys get better he's very um he seems to like really feed into the young team so i feel like we're gonna see younger guys actually get time on the pitch again um yeah, I'm, I'm looking like I wasn't around when Pochettino first came in and, you know, that whole renaissance happened um, where where you feel like you were with a team like growing. Um, the teams that I've been a fan of have sort of been. Oh, what a time, Kim. What a teams. time. I mean, uh, yeah. So they've been older teams. You, you I mean, we haven't now really seen that many people. At this point. We haven't seen that many people um, like come from the youth system. You got Skippy, but that's kind of it um that are like playing for spurs um so so yeah i'm looking forward to just see how he beds in um you know how the team responds to him yeah it's just it's more exciting to have someone who wants the job i'm curious actually you know how well i don't know if this goes for every coach but it seems like a lot of coaches especially if they develop younger players they seem to have a a position they kind of maybe specialize in or 
like Pochettino seemed like really made our fullbacks a focal point, obviously Conte with the wingbacks, but that's his system overall. But I wonder what the, the players that, that Conte is going to have the biggest impact on, especially the younger players, but just like um, some of the, the, the players that could have a little bit of a Renaissance. I mean, I'm not going to say the end word yet, but uh, like that, like that would be the cra- <laughs> that would be the craziest one. But I, I wonder what kind of impact he would have on Basuma or Skip. Some of the midfielders. It'd be great to see Decky get back to uh, his his uh, ways of a couple years ago. I'm curious to see which position slash players um, Ange kind of gets the best out of because it does sound like he's going to have an approach similar to Pochettino in terms of both. Uh, you know, being okay coaching young players, but also apparently just gets guys out of there if they don't buy in, like has no patience for people that aren't 100% committed, um, which it, it, it doesn't sound as uh, it doesn't sound great necessarily, but I don't think it's meant that way. It's I think that's more of Conte's thing of freezing players out, whereas Ange will give you a chance, but if you don't buy into it, then you're gone, not even frozen out, but just gone. Well, that was going to be, my next question is like it, based on what you've seen and heard and read about Pastacoglu, are there any players looking at our roster that you're kind of excited to have him work with or that you think might be able to come on? Not to mention, you know, there's about seven or eight guys out on loan that are all scheduled to come back soon. So I, I I'm also curious to know, not necessarily from you guys, but just in general, I'm I'm very curious to to see how many of those guys end up back in the team um, versus the ones that will be gone for good. But Kim, is there anyone that you're looking at in our roster and thinking this guy's really going to benefit from playing in a different system? I mean, frankly, I think Kulisevsky is going to probably get back to playing a lot better because like, we're gonna have the ball, and <laughs> we have the ball. Kulusevski is gonna make something happen. Like if we're real quick, though, if, do, if, do you see him as a? Sorry, I was gonna ask. Do you see him more as a winger though, or it's like a number eight, ten, whatever that is in in Postacoglu's system? Honestly, he's probably a guy that can play both. Yeah, like we're gonna have at times to need rotation, and it will be nice to have guys that can do a little bit of both things. I but I and I think he has the qualities to probably do both. Um, well, the the reason I ask is just because it seems like we have a lot of players <clears throat> because of our past couple coaches that are kind of tweeners in post Chicago system. Mm-hmm. A lot of our wing backs, for instance, are not quite yeah. fullback, not quite winger is the big one. And then Kulisevsky likes to get out wide, but he he's not a. At least what from what I was reading, it seems like Sonny might play really well in that system as a winger because he likes to get behind the, the back line. But Kulisevsky's always been that trickery and getting that ball in, you know, a weird cross from an, an early angle. I'm, I, I think, I don't know, I think he could play both, but I'm curious to see him in that. I think it's an eight is how it's described in the system, like kind of those two tens behind the the um, the striker. Front line, yeah. Well, it also seems based on I was watching a video from, I think, uh, Tifo football. And they were talking about the way that Ange plays kind of with his midfielders pushing up and filling in space in the in the final third. So you kind of have your forwards and your wingers like they're kind of playing triangles in the wing spaces. And then the midfielders who are kind of playing a defensive role to start the game can fill in those spaces coming into the box, playing the edges of the box. And from that perspective, I'm thinking, you know, obviously 
Skip and Hoybier are not really that profile of player. We've seen Hoybier play up front a little bit, but he always seems to kind of run himself into the ground. A lot of that had to do with us not having enough rotation options. But I do wonder about LaCelso playing in a system like that. Like I that is a player that I think might be able to benefit from a different system where he was not getting really much success. Under Jose, we ended up sending him away. He looked great every time he played for Argentina. And I do wonder about him. And that's that's one of the names that I'm thinking about. But is there any, is there anyone else that you guys are, are thinking about or might come to mind, Jesse, that you're excited to maybe have back from loan? Um, I mean, you you chastised, I think you chastised one of us for for dropping the the end Dumbele bomb, and then you're just gonna throw up <laughs> the right in everybody's face like that. Oh man, um, it's you funny. Know, like, I, I think we probably like I think and Dumbele will probably be here over Lacelso. I feel like Lacelso is the one who's like, I don't want to be here. Like it felt like when he left to go on loan, he was like, I'm so thankful not to be at Spurs anymore. I can and see that. See I don't know if we want that guy back. this week. And you don't you don't think Tangy felt that way too? Yes, but like Tangy also didn't go somewhere and like I feel like he's not as widely wanted. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> for me, I'll tell you right now. I am I'm done with that guy. Like Tangy, I don't want to see him in a Spurs shirt again. I feel like for all the skills that he has but if he was to buy in, though, is so if he actually were to buy into Ange's system, though, I mean, if he was actually to buy, because if he doesn't, apparently he'll be gone anyway. That's that's a but huge he, that's a huge if, man. I and know, but what I'm saying is that he, he, he didn't even stay fit in Napoli, gone. and they won the league. I don't think it's likely. I'm just saying that this is, by all accounts, this sounds like the one manager to give him a shot, and if he doesn't prove it quickly, he's just gone. So I yeah, I don't I mean, think it's I very think... likely. But if if he was actually to somehow come back and buy in. I, it would be great, would it not, to have a world-class midfielder all of a sudden? And apparently the Celso is just supposed to be kind of a weird dude, is what I think. Yeah, anyway. I, I, I think I ultimately just don't trust that he'll ever be world-class. I just don't think he has the work ethic for it. It's pretty hard to imagine, I agree. The thing, too, is, and like, I mean, right, there's just in general, whatever the sport is, there's 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 natural talent and then there's the work ethic and those kind of things. And to be top, top, top world class, you have to have both, right? The, 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 the natural God-given talent as well as a terrific work ethic, be in the right system, all those things. I mean, obviously, everybody that we've seen, multiple coaches here and other places have seen that, that uh, Tangy doesn't have the, the work ethic. But maybe, I'm not saying here, but maybe he's got enough natural talent and skill that that you know if in the right situation even without a great work ethic he's not world-class but he's still very good I don't think that that's here I don't see any of these guys coming back you know and being like all of a sudden like oh you know oh my gosh we actually just got a great signing and it was a guy that we already had whether it was Lo Celso Tangy freaking uh, is Winks technically on loan yeah, so we've sorry. got the Tangy and Dombele. Heel is my guy. You know that is the heel I yeah, would die that's on. What I was that guy is going to be a playmaker in the Premier League. <laughs> oh, so I don't know how well he fits, but he likes going forward. He likes attacking. He likes taking people on. If if Big Ange wants that, little Brian can do it. So as of last season, we had on loan Destiny Udogi, Tangy and Dombele, Brian Hill, 
Gio LaCelso, Jed Spence, Sergio Regulon, Harry Winks, and Joe Roden. Now, we know Destiny's coming back for sure. It's his destiny. The rest of these are big question marks. Uh, Jed, I, I, I'm sure, might find some time. But, you know, this is a player for me that probably should not be playing in any sort of defensive uh, positioning. Like if he's going to be used as an out and out winger, I think he could really do bits for um, Pasta Coglu. But one one thing I've heard, I mean, we don't don't know how flexible Ange is yet, but I've heard that he can play kind of a lopsided uh, formation where one of the the fullbacks would get forward. And and to counter that, we would have one of the uh, midfielders kind of play a little like drop into that defensive space is what it sounded like. So potentially we could have like uh, Emerson on one wing and um, would it be uh, Udogi's left back, right? So like yep. maybe him over there, something like that. I, I don't know exactly what they could do, but maybe they could switch to to make it lopsided just to include more players. We'll see. We'll we'll see how he gets. The, the The main thing that I'm both interested and concerned about is how many how many wing backs we bought over the last you know twelve. <laughs> you know that's no that's <laughs> a serious like that's a serious concern. Yeah. So. Yep. I'm, 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 I don't love the, how much money we've spent on wingbacks if we're not able to get some of them playing somewhere and spent so little on attacking midfielders or defenders, like actual defenders, which is probably why we're in the position we are that we lack in those two two areas. I'll also note that of all the players that I just listed who went out on loan, the only one with an expiring contract is Harry Winks, who expires next summer. Everyone else has at least two years left on their contract. So... These guys are either coming back or going back out on loan and or getting sold. But we have to figure out what to do with these guys, which I think is also going to influence how much we can do in the market because we're still going to owe all these guys their money um, unless we decide to move them or more importantly, if anybody decides to buy them. We were able to pick up a couple of incomings. Um, one is a new player and one is not. Kulisevsky is no longer on loan. He is now a permanent Spurs player, I believe signed through 2027, 26. Uh, something like It's a long-term contract. He'll be there for a while. And that's something that we all kind of anticipated was going to happen. We've also just, as of today, we got the here we go from Fab for Guglielmo Vicario a 19 million euro goalkeeper from Empoli in Serie A. So we continued, even without Paratici, to continue plucking guys from the Italian league. What do we know about this Vicario guy? Maybe maybe we should start with Kulisevsky, who we talked about a little bit already, but he had a pretty rough season last year. Are we anticipating that that was a blip? He's a young player. He's going to come back. He's going to bounce back. Or is it possible that maybe that first year was just like him playing out of his mind and, and the norm is somewhere in the middle? I think it's probably somewhere in the middle. Hopefully it's closer to that first year. I think that first year, though, I mean, how many assists did he have? And like, you know, 15, I think he was, ended up like he ended up like sixth or seventh in the league and, and, and started in February or something and had like 10. It was it was an insane. Right. Uh, or, or maybe That's not that not many, sustainable. But he, was, he was in the. He was. It was. Very, it would have. It would have been a, a crazy pace um, for him to be at. I, I think I agree that it'd be somewhere in the middle. But I mean, he, he even 
if I remember correctly, he started um, the first game, the the Southampton bludgeoning that um, that that opened the season. I thought he had a goal and an assist or two assists. So he started off on the on the front foot for sure this year, like right where he left off. And then I think you know some injuries, and then obviously our our whatever Conte ness that happened throughout the year um, threw some things off. But like he started out hot, so I think that it would be, you know, my hope is that it'll it'll be. Um, yeah, he had a he had a goal and assist um in Southampton uh or um yeah in, in the opening week. So I gotta think that he's he's closer to the dude that was that folded right in. Like it obviously, you know, guys you'll you'll have the, the other side of a, of a hot start is like, oh, then people, you know, get get more tape on you and are able to to plan um, you know, against you. But it, it didn't seem too much like it was like he was being tactically outmanaged or, or shut down. It seemed like he just, you here's know, the question. Injuries Justin, and some I, other stuff was off. I, I know that you're a big expected goals guy. So, cause assist in particular, I feel like a lot of that would come down to luck because you can make a great pass and the player camp doesn't finish. You can have corners that count as assist. Obviously assists by themselves are a pretty bad stat, but I wonder what his expected assists were like compared, like expected, expected assists, I guess, per minute or something like that. Cause he also had, Sometimes last year where Richarlison was getting time over him or fucking Lucas was for some reason, you're like that. He, I know he, he got plenty of game time, but he also was not necessarily a consistent starter. Um, I also don't, just don't know if Conte's style really helped him very much because Conte wanted the wingbacks to stay on the outside and wanted the wingers to, to get more in. And I don't know if that's his game necessarily to attack from the wing in. He's not, he's not exactly a dribbler. He's more about finding a little bit of. He of does room. cut in really well, though. Like he does, he, he does that like very hard right turn or hard left turn, and just like find some space. And and whether he curls in or makes a makes a he good makes, he makes creates good space. When he must have yeah. some, he must have uh, pace that's not readable or something. It kind of reminds me of Musa Dembele sometimes. Like not to over exaggerate that one, but how he can go by people sometimes without seemingly doing crazy dribbles. He just seems to, I guess, yeah. have a weird uh, movement, like his his hip movement, or a weird burst of pace that defenders don't see. But he does seem to do that. He and again, he just creates space from that kind of diagonal cross uh, positions. That's why, again, I think he could he could play pretty well. I think in one of those um, those midfield roles because I think that Con- or in Ange's system, and he might Kim was saying this too. He might do well as a winger because they do stay wide. It sounds like it's the the fullbacks that become kind of inverted and take that inside space. So it's almost the reverse of what Conte did with those positions. So I, I'm very curious to see how he'll bounce back, though. Yeah, quickly, and, and I got I, the stats. Optimistic. As, as, as off of a season as he had among outfield players, he was one, two, three, four, five, six, seventh in minutes, uh, second on the team in actual assists. And uh, fourth on the team in uh, in expected assists um, behind Kane, Perisic, Son, and uh, just behind Kane, Perisic, and Son, and in an uh, exit expected assists, um, and second behind Perisic in uh, in assists. Um, when he never he never takes he, yeah he never right. takes set pieces though right yeah right so I right. like Son so, and and yeah and um, uh, Perisic and so all that I don't have the the X the XA on non dead ball stats in front of me, but um, yeah. And so from a, from a straight XA 
per 90. I'm just going to ignore um, uh, the the silky um, long midfielder, uh, Pap Sar, because he only had 11 games, although so his, his XA per 90 was was a was a, an even quarter. Um, Decky was third on the team. Um, Perisic 0.28, Pepsar 0.25, and then uh, Decky 0.23. So, you know, like what does that project out to as a, a full season of of, uh, of of minutes? Is you know close to nine or ten, which I think he could he could be at. I mean, he's he's got all the skills to be a to be a you know 10, 10 uh, kind of a kind of a player, and and hopefully that's what what Ange can get out of him. Yeah, I like I said, I feel like with the ball, us actually having the ball will allow him to do more um, and and just be able to like creating more chances will lead to more goals, will lead to more assists. Like we had moments last year where it was like we would get three or four chances and we had to score on those chances. And if we're if we if we have 10 or 12 chances, like I expect something will probably happen. And he if he's starting, he might be a part of it. Um, so I, I just expect him to play a lot better than he did last year. And, and, and I think some of it was, he got injured. I feel like he had a hamstring and something else. Um, and then the, the world cup, I feel like didn't help anyone on our team, honestly. And he was someone who didn't go to the world cup. So he was just hanging around, um, during that period. So I don't know. I feel like with a more cohesive season, um, and with us having the ball more, I think, I think he'll be a lot better. Um, yeah. For the record, his signed contract is actually through 2028. So, whoa, looks like that was a five year deal to lock him in <laughs> while he's nice and young and, and still wants to be there. <laughs> so, one and didn't Levy get like an extra five million euros, I think, knocked off that price somehow? Yeah, yeah, yeah I don't know how he yeah. pulled that one off. I really people, don't know how people, people I we were telegraphed like, that one. Why don't we just sign him and or and <laughs> It was it's so funny when you see the stuff on Twitter, like why should you just sign this person? It's like, well, this is why you don't, because you can save a little bit of money at times. Well, speaking of saving money, we spent much of the past three weeks with rumors swirling about us potentially eyeing, discussing, talking with, and potentially signing David Raya from Brentford as our new goalkeeper to back up and replace the aging and, and falling apart Hugo Lloris. That did not real see- quick. I thought that was about to be a surprise segue into a new sponsor for the pod. Like I thought I was about to be a Geico ad <laughs> or a freaking Costco ad or something, but like, you know, Hey, if any of the, you know, several dozen, maybe even triple digit listeners, um, you know, have a marketing account, uh, a marketing budget and want to, want to sponsor the pod, you know, we are definitely looking for sponsors. Joel will write you some copy. (laughs) Thanks. Uh, yeah. So back to the Costco ad, Hugo's a husk of of himself. He certainly cannot be our starter moving forward. He's already communicated that he's ready to leave the club which I think is probably mutual at this point. And so it it did seem like for most of the summer, we were pursuing David Raya. I admittedly have not been following that entire saga very closely, but it seems like that's fallen apart. We were not willing to pony up on what they wanted. And we decided to go in a different direction today, getting the, here we go from Fabrizio Romano on Guglielmo Vicario from Empoli. 
for a total of 19 million euros or 16 million pounds, which is significantly less than what I think Brentford was asking for for Raya. Um, I don't know yeah, a ton about him. 40, I think they wanted 40 pounds yeah, for Raya. So about, about what? Well, less than half of what we would have paid for Raya. The, from what I know about Vicario, which is very little because all of this just happened today, but he's 26 years old. He was at Empoli, like I said. Uh, he seemed to have a pretty strong season there. And it, it from what I've read, it he sounds like a up-and-coming goalie that was getting a lot of looks from bigger clubs. Empoli probably saw this coming for some time now. And it was really just a matter of where they were going to sell him to. So based on that profile, it sounds like we grabbed a pretty good one there. And apparently he's a really good penalty saver. Like, I think he saved like four last year and maybe like 11. Yeah, they said they have like 11 out of 39. Yeah, I I heard that same stat. Which is wild, actually. (laughs) And that's that's something Hugo's never been good at. So he had a nice run where he saved one against Aubameyang in like the last uh, last couple games. Yeah, he had a Aguero one too against City. That was a nice, like it was like in a week. I feel like penalties, though, have to be one of the ultimate small sample size stats in all of sports because there are just so few of them that are not penalty shootout related. Um, yeah. The, the, the one thing that's weird about this is I feel like it, two things are weird. One is that that, um, that they wanted 40 million for Raya and they already signed his replacement, but they they held on to him. Like, are they just bluffing Levy and they thought that we would come back? They have another plan. to sell. Are they really going to hold on to a, a I player saw, they already have? I a saw a Reddit. Them? Reddit R shout out R slash Coys. One of the top comments was, "This is a classic case of uh, Brentford effing around and finding out." <laughs> like, <laughs> Seriously, it's, a, it's so weird. Just said no. Yeah, it's so weird. But then the other thing is, it seems for what's apparently regarded as a really good young goalie, sixteen million pounds seems cheap. Like I, I'm surprised that's not yeah. twenty five or thirty million. Like I was just the start. Like you're just saying, less than half of what they're asking for. A, of a dude that's on an expiring contract at this point that has less than one year. Like that doesn't I mean, like funny enough. Like I saw something where there was a, an Italian guy who was on a podcast, literally, I don't remember his name, but he was literally saying like, he expected him to, if Onana was sold from inter that they expected inter to buy him for like the 30 minutes. I saw that. Yeah. yeah. I saw it. Yeah. There's that. And then, uh, I mean, apparently by most statistical measures, he was the second best keeper in Syria last year. And he apparently is the second choice keeper at this point for the Italian national team. So, yeah, I mean, I, I remember getting here. He's, he was second in the um, Syria in post shot right. expected goals minus goals allowed. So like a keeper specific X G right. or X negative G or whatever. But he was second in the uh, in the league uh, per ninety, um, and I think third in the league uh, overall. So, uh, and and I think that's a you know good stat. Like there, there's it's tough to kind of really see who the who the yeah, best goalies are, right? It's not always. I think that's it's always so much of the defense. Yeah, well, that's that's like Babbitt or something like that, right? Where it's trying to take out all the other equations out of play, and how good is a pitcher when it, uh, when it's not about balls in play? So, I mean, with that with that. Uh, stat there is like where you take all the defensive position and everything out of it as much as possible like you said I think I think that goalie is probably the hardest position to scout from an analytical perspective like uh, stats tell you the least about a goalie of any position would be 
I mean, it, it, I guess it's probably fairly obvious, but that would that would be pretty hard to scout that way. But yeah, no, I mean, I'm I'm glad that we have somebody. I mean, there's no way that we would actually get Raya too, right? Like, there's no way that we would bring in two goalkeepers. I, at this I point. very much doubt I that. I don't think so. I doubt it too. I'm just again surprised at how quickly we just turned the shoulder on 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 them and uh, said no thanks. I, I mean, figured that's going to be a protracted thing. I've, I feel like that's what we want Smart, from the yeah. club, honestly. Like mm-hmm. goalkeeper, the goalkeeper decision to was should have been the first one, right? Because I think what they're looking at is like if you don't like David Raya was going to be a homegrown goalkeeper, and then you can sort of got like go outside of England maybe to find more center backs, right? But if you sign a foreign goalkeeper, you're probably going to be thinking about maybe signing some English center backs probably signing some guys who are homegrown and maybe they're not English. Maybe they're just homegrown. Um, because if we're trying to sign and I feel like the club is trying to sign two center backs. Um, so I think it's going to be like, to me, that was the decision that you had to make first before you can go do anything else. Um, and so I'm glad we made it. I'm glad we made it as quickly as we did. Um, I didn't want that to be something that drew on for too long because then it just holds up the rest of your transfer dealings. At some point, we have to have the discussion, maybe over the summer, one of these topics about the idea of homegrown players and having a, a rule. Like, can you imagine that in American sports where you're not allowed to have, you know, you have to have a certain amount of Americans on the Yankees or whatever else? Like, <laughs> it just it just sounds so odd. I get it. I get like where it came from originally, but shouldn't this be a meritocracy? You're like, we have to have English people on these teams, even if they're not very good. Like for a national team, it makes sense, but in the the league, like that's a it's a private thing, you know. I, I think the thing is, obviously, when you're when you're competing with, um, you know, if there was any other all of America's sports, um, of the of the major ones in in the U.S., right? Like MLB is far and away the best baseball league in the world. NFL far and away the best football league in the world. NBA same thing hockey's close there's not rules there but still nhl is the best that's the one thing where like you you are competing with other leagues so like i guess that's the 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 impetus the rule and why it's still there because it's like there's not clearly one league that is head and shoulders and abdomens above everyone else so you kind of want to be like hey we want you know our best guys to do like i know for sure for like for when when italy won the world cup in 2010 um they they were one of the the first teams ever or the first teams in a while to win with all of their national team players playing in in the domestic league um and that was you know a big source of pride for them and that was like a a really unique thing i think honestly like yeah not just the stars i think the entire team was was from there so you know you kind of want to have that and um and uh and you're also you know i guess giving opportunities to a, to a handful of the the smaller guys or, or the the less good guys that that might be you know might be able to to get a to get a role it does feel a little bit you know like you said ben not america meritocracy or like at best at worst can be a little xenophobic you know even right. but um i think that's the 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 truth that it was like let's try to keep the the best talent close to home so that we I, can I continue to inspire degree. future players i get that to a degree and and we don't have to go on a complete tangent on this but i would just think the idea that is you want to keep your players in country but 
you don't have to reserve spots for them to do that. You just make your league the best, and then you have also good players. If if, if your yeah. players are actually like in the MLS, we want our players. Sorry, in, in for the U.S. soccer team, we want our players to go play in the best leagues because that'll make our national team better. So it's almost like the reverse of that. But I think it's just an outdated rule. I I, I think that you make good points though. Well, we've got these two guys in. Like I said, all of the loans are coming back. Looking ahead to the summer, obviously, uh, there is a few international games scheduled with our typical summer tour that's going to be taking place this year in, I don't even Malaysia? know. Or, yeah, some somewhere. I thought it was, or Korea. I thought it was Australia and New Zealand. I thought it was well, Asia. None of, and, none of and, us know. Singapore. I think one of them is in Singapore. I think one of them is in Far Singapore. from the U.S. is well, That's how we, you can tell where exactly. this spot's been. Right, like, exactly. Not close to us. We don't care. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, so it's Asia Pacific tour. So we kind of all were right. <laughs> it's got... Uh, <laughs> it was far, <laughs> and it's also Singapore. Looking ahead, I guess, to the rest of the schedule, the, the games that we will be more invested about, that has come out. There are a few things that we we learned about the schedule. Of course, it's it's hard to really make a lot of sense of the schedule for me because I still don't know what our team looks like. I don't know what other teams look like. The moves are just starting to happen. Half of the league is apparently going to Saudi Arabia or something. So, so I mean, there's there's a lot going on, and and will continue to go on over the course of the next two months. But I know that there were. I don't know if complaints is the right word, but one of the things that was noticed is the fact that we will be starting the season on the road, ending the season on the road, and also playing on the road for the big Boxing Day match, which is is obviously a big fixture in British football. I think the big part of the schedule that I think is causing the most anxiety is towards the end of the season. In the month of April, we have Newcastle, Man City, Arsenal, and Liverpool back-to-back-to-back with uh, four of the last six games. So depending on how our season is going, that could prove to be potentially the most crucial stretch of the season for us. Again, like I said, I... I don't know how much there is to make out of the schedule this early, but just taking a look at it, Kim, is there anything that you're noticing or, or looking towards? No, the things that, you know, it was starting off the season on the road and having like a few games, I think three of the first four on the road. So as a new manager being on the road, I mean, Spurs, in the last few years haven't played well on the road. So like having those be your first matches might be also, let me say this might also be helpful because the traveling support is always great. Like you're always going to get like an amazing support from the travel supporters at home. If things don't go well, you know, you might hear some booze and you might hear something. So I guess there's a give and take with that, but yeah, that's that stretch um, towards the end of the season. I was like, Whoa, like it could be the make or break of the season right there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we had a lot of make or break points of this past season and, and and we broke more times than we made. So hopefully things are a little bit different. And like I said, I, I think for me, 
I'm anticipating the beginning of the season to be a little rough. I would much rather us go through a crucial stretch towards the end than in the beginning, because I think those are games that I would rather us have a little bit of a understanding of how we want to play versus going through murderer's row while we're still figuring out who we are. That said, to your point, having a few games on the road to start the season is very well may be to our advantage uh, so that when we do have more of our home games, it's after we've gotten some of the early season jitters out of the way. We're also playing Arsenal on the road before we play them at home, which I love because <laughs> I always like having the home game second. Uh, I like getting that that game at the Emirates out of the way early in the season. So it looks like that's <laughs> going to be game number six at the end of September. So we can put that away and then we still have 32 more games <laughs> uh, after that. I would like to see us get a result there. I feel like pretty much since I've been watching Spurs anyway, the three places we never really seem to get any points are away at Arsenal, away at Chelsea and away at Liverpool. We were able to draw at Stamford Bridge last year. We blew it thanks to Lucas Mora against Liverpool and the Arsenal game wasn't even <sighs> close. So, you know, maybe, you know, just got to take it year at a time. We we were able to get four points off of Chelsea last season. So who knows? Maybe we're able to get a result away at Emirates next year. What's the worst that could happen? We do more of the same. <laughs> so, <laughs> Yeah, I'm curious to see, actually. Yeah, it's, it's, it'll be interesting to see how we, we uh, how quickly we're able to institute that style of play. Because like you guys have already talked about, obviously, Ange thinks it's gonna potentially could take a little while to to establish the system, but also we've just come from three years of such negative football. Um, hopefully, you know people will just get confidence up. At least we have the full, uh, you know, we have the full off season um, with, you know, uh, hopefully as well. So with with a coach for one thing, and then hopefully they can make our signings early so that we can get a lot of um, players kind of accustomed to his system and with each other before the actual season starts. It, I'm, I know that the season just ended and we were all talking about how uh, relieved we've been to not have to watch Spurs. But now that we finally have a coach that, you know, that hopefully is going to be playing a more positive style, like I'm kind of looking forward to this season. <laughs> I want to I want to see how we play. And I, I know that it could be a, a slow start for the first probably couple months, couple to few months. But I'm definitely really looking forward to uh, to being entertained while watching games again, even if we are losing. Well, the season starts August 13 away at Brentford, followed by a home match to United and then a couple of away matches to Burnmouth and Burnley, who are right back in the Premier League after, uh, I think, one year away. So we're looking at about a month and a half before the season ends, uh, before the season starts, rather. And so I think, you know, now that we've got the goalie in, the big priority remains pieces for our defense and yeah, center backs. I think it's going to be really interesting to see not only who we chase, but what happens to all the players that are coming back, their loans officially end on June 30. So we could expect them to be embedded back in the team at some point in July, the summertime tour. The first game is, against West Ham on July 18th. So that's going to give 
Ange about two weeks to work with guys, figure out who he likes, um, and then maybe start making decisions towards the middle or end of July. Um, and then season starts mid-August, so it's going to be here before we know it. Yep. I don't want to make any bold predictions about how things are going to play out because I'm I'm still pretty interested to see what our team actually looks like. And I, I do anticipate, especially with us getting the goalie piece out of the way, that there are going to be a few more changes uh, forthcoming. So we'll see what they are. But... Please let the next pod be a be an emergency Ryan Madison reaction pod. I've I've had my James eye Madison. On him for so long. James Madison. Um <laughs> I've, I don't know who Ryan I've wanted is. him. He sounds like a baseball player, or a boy band. <laughs> I, I've wanted I've wanted him for uh, for a while. I think he'd be just absolutely perfect. Um, I mean, that uh, would be the Pittsburgh. ten that we haven't had since since Erickson left. So, yeah, and I'm I'm all over buying the theory of just like you know, not only does he want to live in London versus versus Newcastle. Um, but you know, also the that knowing that he's he's 25, 26 years old. I think you know you've got another um world cup uh coming up in 26 he's been kind of you know up and down and not not a regular fixture in the england um england lineup if if harry's here all year and and madison forms a nice connection with him we know harry's going to be leading the line in in 2026 for england so it's like a, a a primo opportunity as well um for uh for ryan madison to to james force his way into the starting <laughs> james madison to force his way into the starting yeah now it's pre, locked in those pre-pod drinks are coming through i i worry so much about you know making sure we got uh got the new goalie's name right i can't even think of uh james madison um yeah so i think like, i'm sure ryan madison's that, a really nice player too yeah that, that we could get um uh that we could get uh, uh, you know, he, he could form a nice connection with Harry, and then force his way into the into the conversation to the to the regular starting eleven with um with uh, with uh, with England in twenty six. Well, one thing we know about Harry is he's going to be able to form nice connections with pretty much everyone. <laughs> I mean, this guy. There's very few players I've seen him not look good playing with, and you know, with all of the conversation we've had about the schedule and signings and loans, obviously that's the elephant in the room is still figuring out what's going to happen with that contract. And so, like I said, we will, we will see. There's still a lot of summer left. Come on, you Spurs. Come on, you Spurs. Come on, you Spurs. Come on, you Spurs.